in a local church. Turn to Philippians, if you would, chapter 4. The book of Philippians, preaching through the book of Philippians on Sunday mornings. And we're up to chapter 4. And even though an unknown infection may go away, probably not. But I guess it could subside if your immune system was strong enough, it's probably going to leave lingering damage any way you look at it. And that is the case. It was the case with me physically. It's the case spiritually in a local church when there is that type of issue. And so this morning, we look at Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3, a message I've titled Friction in the Family of faith, when there is an active infection going on and it is not addressed. Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Euodia and beseech Syndice that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We just finished in our last message, chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And the focus of that particular text had to do with exemplary living, being an example. Now, uh, there were positive examples identified uh, and negative examples identified and it's right on the heels of that exhortation to be a godly and good and positive example you see we see the, the apostle Paul addressing what was arguably the most pronounced and most profound negative example in the church at Philippi a church he dearly loved the spirit of God led Paul to pen the negative example, the infection, the disease of disunity in the local church. And we see that in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. First of all, we see in verse 1 an expression of irresistible friendship in the family of faith. Now, you might not see it so much in the English translation, but in the Greek uh, text, it is very emphatic uh, of how much love Paul had for these Philippians. In fact, you'll notice it says that you are, I long for you. Twice he used the word beloved at the beginning of verse 1. My brethren dearly, not just beloved, but he said dearly beloved at the beginning of verse 1. He said my dearly beloved at the end of verse 1. This is real affection, real friendship that he had with uh, the people of God at Philippi, and they had for him as well. Paul, of course, planted the church on his second missionary journey there in Acts chapter 16, planted the church at Philippi, uh, won Lydia to the Lord, and she hosted uh, the church in her home. Notice also, he, though he was their spiritual father, he identified with them as dearly beloved brethren. That is, I'm not over you, he said. Uh, I'm not, uh, there's no hierarchy here. I'm one among you. I am with you in this. And you know, uh, I noticed uh, today, I noticed it until Friday, 
uh, and at the risk of sounding self-serving, you all uh, honored me today in the bulletin uh, for 37 years on staff. And I tell you, folks, that is very, uh, on staff here at Redbridge, uh, that is very uncommon. Preachers don't stay in one place for that long. Uh, first of all, uh, he, uh, the preacher will get tired of you, or more often, much more often, you'll get tired of him. And, uh, 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 and there's uh, many, many times a parting of the ways that is not comfortable, that is not wholesome. That, has not, that is not the case here. And I tell you, uh, I thank the Lord that if I had it physically, if I had it in me physically uh, to do it, uh, which I don't. I was discussing this with a couple of people last night uh, uh, at Road to Bethlehem. Uh, I'm pushing 67. I know I look like I'm 37, but I'm really not. But I feel like I'm pushing 67. And uh, there's not 37 more years left in me. Probably not, all right? <laughs> and uh, some of you are thinking, great, I'm good with that. Uh, but it's been a love relationship, hasn't it been? Amen? For these many, many years and decades. It has been from my perspective. It really has. I've told you, uh, I've told you folks a hundred times, uh, you will find a better preacher if you look. You'll certainly find a better theologian, uh, more insightful, more educated uh, theologian. You will find someone who uh, maybe is, is nicer to be around, who's more attentive. You're not going to find anyone who loves you more than I do. And that's 37 years of history of loving this congregation. And so I'm identifying with the Apostle Paul when he is saying to the congregation, my dearly beloved, I so long for you to continue moving on with the Lord and growing in him and serving him. It was a love relationship that he had and he established that in verse 1. He talked about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 9 with that congregation. He says, but it's touching brotherly love. He told the Thessalonians, you don't need that I write unto you for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. You know, since uh, I've become a child of God 46 years ago, I cannot harbor, at least I've never been able to up to this point, I cannot harbor animosity, hatred uh, in, in my heart for really, for, for anyone. And certainly not for the people of God. It would be like hating your own body. It would be like me behaving like my appendix behaved 40 years ago and turning on me. Because we're all part of the same body. Did you follow that analogy? Your appendix acts up. It's turning on its own body. It's wanting to destroy its own body. Well, that would be analogous to a church member who was not uh, uh, enjoying family life and the fellowship, uh, the friendship in the family of faith. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, for this is the, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and Joy. Notice in verse 1 of our text, it says that you are my crown. In other words, it's the Stephanos. It's the, uh, it's the Olympic runner who would receive the victor's crown. So too, the Philippians were Paul's crown of victory. Look at how the Lord has blessed my ministry in winning Lydia to the Lord and her friends and the church being planted in her home. And now it is a blossoming church. Now it is a powerful, fruitful church. Oh my, what a wonderful crown. What victory there is. And I tell you, pastorally, it is not 
Uh, it is not how, uh, uh, how many baptisms uh, we have, how large the budget is, uh, building something new. Or, it's not any of those things. It is where is the congregation with a heart for God, with an understanding of the Word of God, and a commitment to follow Him. That is where the crown is. That's where the victory is in being in the world, representing Him, yet not of the world, making a difference for the cause of Christ. So, an expression of irresistible friendship. I want to, I long to be with you. And I so trust, and and by virtue of you being here, that must be saying to some degree, you also long to be with one another. Amen? Do you you enjoy doing church together? (laughs) I know that you do, and I do as well. So Paul kind of cushioned the blow a little bit. It was genuine. He desired, uh, he, he longed after them. He loved them greatly. Uh, He was motivated that way, but he also needed to share about friction. Friction, interpersonal friction in the family of faith. And we see that at the beginning of verse 1. I beseech Yodia and Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now there are times when church conflict is unavoidable. In fact, you ought to have difficulties at certain times, and that has to do with when there is errant theology, heresy, you must hit that, uh, you must hit that head on. You must intentionally run at that when there is that present, or when there is immorality, unrepentant, and it's notorious, i.e. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're preaching through 1 Corinthians on Sunday evenings, uh, and we'll be getting into that in the coming weeks. And so there are times when difficulties in the local church uh, are advisable. In fact, they're even commanded. Paul told the Romans in chapter 16 and verse 17, now I beseech you, brethren, mark those, identify them who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. There is a place for excommunication among professing believers for the hard-hearted, unrepentant one who is sinning. There is that. That is not what's going on in this case. That is not what is happening in uh, in the church at Philippi. Uh, That is not what was happening with Euodia and Syntyche. Now notice in verse 2, Euodia and Syntyche. The word Euodia means prosperous journey. When she was born, her parents were so captured apparently by her, by that newborn. Uh, and, and any of you all captured by newborns? Don't you love newborns? Who doesn't love a baby, you know? Well, they were like that too. Uh, and it's been that way throughout generations and generations. And so they took one look out of her and said, oh, that she will have a good journey, a prosperous journey throughout life. That is our heart for her. Well, At this point in life, she was not living up to her name because she was not enjoying her journey, uh, nor was anyone else around her at that point. That's the name Euodia. And Syntyche means good event or a, a good moment. And when she was born... Her parents took one look at her and said, oh, this is, this is a grand event in our lives. Uh, and she's uh, responsible for it because she's come into the world and how we delight in her. Well, she was not experiencing a good moment, uh, nor was her sister in the Lord, 
euodia. It wasn't because of theology. It wasn't because of philosophy, errant philosophy. It wasn't because of sinful morality. None of that was going on. These were two well-known, respected women in the church who had become an example of interpersonal friction in the family of faith. It had become notorious. Notorious to the degree that while Paul was under Roman house arrest, he had heard about it, and now he's writing a spirit-inspired Bible book and calling them out by name. My, <laughs> what would happen if a preacher were to do that today? And, uh, and we're to say, uh, and, and I'm not going to pick on anybody, but I, I feel tempted to. Yeah, I will. Kathy and Betsy. They, I can always pick on them. Kathy and Betsy, knock it off. <laughs> By the way, they love one another and they're and committed to one another. But my, I mean, you'd be in hot water as a preacher, but the Apostle Paul led the Spirit of God to pen those words. It was God-inspired writing because it was the infection it was the blown appendix in that body. And it had to be addressed or there's going to be death that's going to result if not. Wow. He, he wrote that because he knew of the importance of oneness. Now, it'll play out in a number of ways. Let me, uh, let me offer some thoughts, some alliterated thoughts of ways that you might experience this. This, this interpersonal friction in the body uh, with another believer. Maybe it'll be discord in your friendship. You get in a spat, your feelings are hurt, there's a wounded heart there, and maybe it's over a misunderstanding. Someone thinks that you said this or you said that or you heard one thing, and in reality, it might be altogether different than that. And I think about, I thought about this. In our church, in, in our local congregation, what one person has the greatest likelihood of being misunderstood, either in what is said, what isn't said, what should have been said, who has the greatest likelihood of being misunderstood? Me, because I have more airtime than anyone else, by far more airtime than anyone else. Brother Saylor, probably a, a close second to being misunderstood, uh, uh, feeling, you feeling like, well, you were, uh, you were ignored, you were, you were neglected, you were disenfranchised from him. In other words, it's easy to shoot arrows at that which is most visible. And so be very careful there that we all allow, you allow me to really uh, be human. And what's worse, I'm a guy, and that's worse than being just human. I tell, you, uh, I tell teenage girls, people are no good and guys are worse. <laughs> I'm insensitive. I'm oblivious at times. I'll holler across the house, Kathy, where is, and then I can just name it, X, Y, Z. Where are the crackers? Where are the chips? Where's my hammer? Whatever it might be. And, and she'll come around the corner say, honey, ugh. <laughs> you know where it is. It's right there in the cabinet where it always is. Nope, I got my head in the cabinet. I've spent 12 minutes already and you hid it from me. Where is it? I would never do that to you, honey. <clears throat> 
So she comes over, opens the cabinet door where I'm standing, and I've been standing for 12, 13 minutes now, and there's starting to be some discord in my soul. And she says, it's right here. And then just to make sure she gets her jab where it's always been. <laughs> now, I've kind, of, I've kind of flavored that. That happens all the time at our house, not with discord. I can't find anything. And she can find any wives identify with your husbands being clueless. Yeah, most of your hands are up. I don't know what it is. It's genetic, I think. Discord in friendship. Now, just like the Apostle Paul was allowed by the Spirit of God, in fact, commissioned uh, to identify a couple of ladies who had a brewing infection in the body, let me offer something. Men have their pet sins. We're all familiar with that. Women do as well, and it's in this area. Ladies, you all are wounded way easier, more quickly, more deeply than our men. Let me give you an example. If one of us, if Mark Saylor said to me, I'll pick on Mark now, Vic, why did you wear that tie with that suit? And he said it just like that. I would say, it was hanging on the rack. And that's as deep as it would go. But if Kathy heard Mark saying that, later that day, she would be tempted. Now, she wouldn't do it. She's too nice. But she would be tempted to say, how dare he say something so mean and cutting as that to you? And I would be thinking, did Mark say something to me that was mean and cutting? (laughs) And what's more, didn't his wife train him better than that? So now there's an offense against Deanna, and she was in the West Wing at the time it happened. But it's her fault. And didn't her parents and his parents do a better job of training? Y'all following where this goes? Ladies are more prone. Now, we want women folk to be more relational. And we want women folk to be more sensitive because the world needs that. (laughs) And you know we're not getting it from the men. Just know that is is a tendency and it certainly was here he didn't call out any men he called out the women for that discord in friendship secondly distance discord brings distance it's the immediate response if reconciliation isn't present it's characterized by avoiding walking on eggshells the the chemistry is no longer good it's two dogs sniffing one another trying to figure out where's my footing here with with her or if it was a guy with him And so there's a distancing. Um, You know, folks, I'm thankful uh, that I can't in my mind come up with a name or an example in in my thinking. I wouldn't share it anyway, but I can't even think of an example. Uh, There are folks in the church, in the professing church, who have carried an offense and made it an art form. It's been so labored over, it's now a work of art in that person's soul. That is dangerous for the body. And so there's a distancing. And then what happens when there's a distancing? Ultimately, it becomes a disruption. A disruption 
in function. Now I can't even serve with her or with him because of this difficulty. Um, the relationship, the discord, the offense caused a distancing and now we can't even hardly be in the same room. Let me give you a pathetic example from a real life example. And I, I quizzed my sister about this. Uh, again, she's nicer than me, so she wouldn't have, uh, it wouldn't have been as noticeable, I guess, to her. But when I was a kid, when we were kids, Melody and I were kids, my other sister, Monet, we had a, a grandmother who's with the Lord now, been with the Lord a long time, decades, and a great-grandmother, her mother-in-law, the grandmother's mother-in-law, so my grandfather's mom. And she's with the Lord and has been for a long time. Before uh, the kids were born, we were born, you know how women uh, uh, back in the day, and Kathy's starting to do this now with her mom's decorative plates that go over cabinets in the kitchen? You know what I'm talking about? I don't know what you, I just call them decorative plates. They're on display. Do you all know what I'm talking about? Okay, none of you women. You guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you, even you guys know. Well, they had decorative plates, both of them did, because they, you know, you did that throughout American history, I guess. And one day, one of those plates was missing. I don't remember from which house. And the one was convinced that the other stole her decorative plate when she wasn't watching. And I don't mean suspected. Went to the grave believing that. And the other one was not brokenhearted, sorrowful, or any such thing. Uh, 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 I, I, I... I hate that you think this of me. Uh, no, that is not the case. Let's work on, no. How dare her accuse me of such a thing. I didn't want that old ugly plate anyway. And so the two of them, without any exaggeration, for my entire lifetime until they both died, never were seen together and they lived in the same vicinity. The great-grandmother's son, the, grand, the grandmother's husband, he would interact with each of them and with us, the next generation or two down. We would with them, we would interact with the great-grandmother or with the, grandma, or with the grandmother, but never together. In other words, no longer are we going to function together because you accuse me of stealing your ugly plate. Well, she did steal my ugly, oh, it wasn't ugly though. That truly happened in real life. And you ceased wondering why I'm like I am. <laughs> you ought to take up a love offering just out of pity. <laughs> Fourthly, now disunity. Everything blows apart. Because it's not the two ladies any longer. It's the family at large has been soiled. And isn't that what, exactly what the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 12? That a root of bitterness will spring up and by it many will be defiled. All kinds of people will be defiled by that, what began with an interpersonal conflict. 
what might have been a misunderstanding, an oversight, a hurtful word, now grows into contempt. What was a scratch on the skin has now become a raging internal infection threatening the very life of that one. What do you do about it? We see in verse 3 primarily an exhortation to once again reinvigorate fellowship in the family of faith. We must address this because to ignore it intentionally or unintentionally is only going to generate, degenerate further and further uh, into major problems. So I saw in 133.1 says, behold, how good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And the, and the apostle Paul spoke all the time about unity in the body because not to have that is to have disintegration in the family of faith. Now notice a couple of things three things about this particular exhortation. It was specific in verse 3. It was, or in verse 2, it was specific. Euodia and Syntyche, knock it off. He didn't beat around the bush. And you know, by definition, interpersonal conflict is not something general. It's something that actually takes place with humans, between people. Spirit of God wanted it to really be established that we're talking about real flesh and blood people here, in this case, two ladies in the church. Paul begged these two ladies to lower their weapons in their mindset, in their attitudes toward one, toward one another. So the, the exhortation was very specific. And so maybe, say, how does that apply to me? Maybe there is someone, even right now, with whom there's a distance in the intimacy of your Christian fellowship. Maybe you know right now, because the Spirit of God is making that very clear to you, that it is not fresh in my heart with you name the name. Could it be that just like in the Philippian church, you know right now who that is. And then notice also, this is maybe, if you don't get anything else out of this message, this might be the most important point, and that is the exhortation was simultaneously. Notice in verse 2, and I don't want you to miss this, the phrasing, the wording is critical. The Apostle Paul, and the Greek text bears this out, did not say, I beseech, I plead with, I beg Euodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind. What does it say? I beseech Euodia and I beseech Syntyche. Is that what your text says? Something it, it uses the same phrasing for both. Why didn't, it, why didn't the Spirit of God lead Paul to lump them together? Because one of them would be tempted to say, okay, I will if she will. If she'll take the first step toward reconciliation, then I'll be happy to reconcile as well. But she has to take the first step. But they're not left with that possibility because both of them simultaneously were individually addressed by a spirit-inspired biblical letter. Uh, Paul, letter of the Spirit of God, to pen these words, didn't leave any wiggle room. She started it, so she has to make the first move. No, 
She is given an exhortation, but you're given the very same one. So neither one of them could uh, use the cop-out that, yeah, I've sinned in this, but I, it didn't, uh, I didn't drop the first bomb. She did, and she has to take the first step. Y'all following the importance of that wording? Uh, we believe in the plenary inspiration, verbal inspiration. That is, every word is important. And in this case, it was given simultaneously to both of them. Both of you are to run at this situation. And notice thirdly, your exhortation was sympathetic. I want you to share in the same pathos, in the same emotional, uh, emotional uh, intensity as these women. Who is to share in that? Look at verse 3 and you'll find out who. And I entreat, I plead with, true yoke fellow, masculine, help these, those women, women who labored, help Yodia and Syntyche with Clement and my other fellow workers. Help them, come alongside, share in this struggle. Now this leads me to believe, and I think, I think we could say pretty categorically, this means that they were not married, probably widows, probably not young, probably a bit older, well-known, well-respected, well-liked, and it had become notorious. Everyone knew that senior saint Sally and senior saint Susie were at one another. Husbands are dead, maybe never married. No kids mentioned, maybe never married. Kids not there, maybe kids are unbelievers. Who, who knows? We don't know. But the fact is, the Apostle Paul said to other leaders, men in the church, because there weren't any men heads over them. You all following this? So he said to the leaders, pastors, deacons, if you will, Yokeville, you all who are bound together, genuine companions, come and minister. Arbitrate steps toward reconciliation. So in a very real sense, the body cannot say, well, that's Vic's appendix. We're not going to worry about that. That's the appendix problem. No, uh, the, uh, the circulatory system was involved. The nervous system was very much involved as I was in terrible anguish. Uh, the financial situ situation was involved. I was broke. I was double broke by the time it was over. All of the systems were involved. And folks, when there's interpersonal conflict in the body, at some point, it's all, it's, it's, it's for all of us. We're all to share in that pathos, to be sympathetic, to share in that anguish, that intense emotional um, discord that is going on and move toward reconciliation. Of course, it can be among men. Of course, it can be among young people. But the fact of the matter is, if it is present, and I'm, not, I'm preaching this, uh, this message because it was the next text in the book. Aren't you glad that we can preach preventatively? Because I'm not addressing a situation particularly that I know about here in, here in the body. But that's where God has us in the next passage. There's the likelihood. Check that. There is the possibility on any given Sunday that one of you 
will get your nose out of joint with someone else. I'm a good candidate for that to happen because of platform presence. That can happen. Don't let that happen. If I genuinely offend you, then let's visit on it immediately. And I'm so thankful that I can report that that's not the case with anyone, at least of which I'm aware, of whom I'm aware. And you all with one another. It's absolutely a possibility. And so as your true yoke fellow, I exhort any who have an unsettled relationship, there's an uneasiness, there's a distancing, that you take the first step and purpose to resolve that. If you need help, bring along one of our deacons. In fact, the ordination of deacons comes from Acts chapter 6. And people say uh, that uh, the, uh, the need was to care for widows. No, that wasn't the need. That, that was the pro- problem that caused the need to surface. The need was unity in the body. And so find one of our deacons, one of our deacons' wives, and have that person be that true yoke fellow to come with you and resolve that conflict. Do not allow the appendix to burst. Been there, done that. You don't want to go there. It will wreck your health. May the Lord protect his flock, his family, his body on this corner. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. It is crystal clear what this passage is teaching. And it is profoundly important for just like my believing grandmother and great-grandmother being, having discord for decades because of an accusation and maybe a reality. I don't know, and they didn't know. But it caused real functional disruption for all my life until they went home to be with you. Lord, may that not be the case in this congregation ever. But we would walk in a spirit of humility before you and one another, brokenness, sensitivity, care, with a desire for oneness. And that would be the case all the time until you call your church home. May we be faithful, Lord Jesus, in this, in your name.